Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. I'm super excited about today's topic. You and I were talking yesterday, and you told me a story uh, that I thought, this has got to be our podcast topic. Um, and uh, th this might be a fairly short episode because uh, this is such an important topic. We shouldn't talk for very long. <laughs> we, I don't want us to lose the message. So no. can you tell us that story? And then let's, let's take it apart and uh, really suck the juice out of it. Sounds great. So I was coaching a client and the person I'm coaching was uh, introducing a new idea. He was introducing the idea of a burn-up chart. So we'll put a link about that in the show notes as always, but it's a concept where you can track what the team is doing and you can see uh, where their likely delivery date is. And it's a very simple, lightweight thing that you can easily set up very quickly. And he wanted to do this for his team because they have a distant due date for their project. And he wanted to make sure to define what this was and have the team have visibility of it. And uh, so he said, hey, guys, let's try this great burnout chart idea. And I knew he was going to do this. So when I uh, got in touch with him uh, for our coaching session, I said, so how did that discussion go? And he said, oh, Squirrel, it was horrible. It was the worst thing ever. What happened was I told them about the burnout chart and they said, hey, so that means that what we should all do is work super extra hard and weekends and long nights and everything else so that we can make sure to get the right number of tickets done so we stay on the slope so we're, we're hitting the right date in the future. And he said, oh, Squirrel, this wasn't what I wanted at all. I didn't want them to have that reaction because I don't want them working long hours. What I want them doing is thinking cleverly about what to do and cutting scope and uh, coming up with uh, clever solutions to stay on track because we want to deliver, but not by whipping themselves. And I certainly didn't want them to conclude that I was uh, after micromanaging them and uh, forcing them to, to work harder. Uh, that, that isn't what I want because that's not how you get knowledge workers to be effective. And I said, well, actually, uh, this actually sounds like a wonderful conversation. This sounds like it's super. And he said, what do you mean? I felt awful afterwards. <laughs> and I had to tell them all about how I didn't mean that. And I was really sorry. And oh, it was horrible. I said, yeah, you felt horrible, but it was a wonderful result. And the reason it was a wonderful result is they already believed this. This was already a hidden fact that they believed that at least it was possible that you might want them to work super long hours in order to meet a deadline. And that's the opposite of what you actually want, but you were not aware. And <laughs> the horrible experience allowed you to be aware and to correct it. So I said, good job. This is super. I'm, I'm glad you felt horrible. <laughs> that was that was the, uh, the, the story. So I, I hope I helped him to feel a little bit better about it. And maybe we can help listeners to understand why that's a, a wonderful rather than a horrible result. And, and I, I love this. It's such a great illustration of something we've talked about uh, several times, which is the sort of learning is horrible idea. And, uh, and I think it really highlights exactly what kind of learning is horrible. Learning in general is not horrible, but there is a particular kind of learning, which is what, when what you learn is different than your self-image. And that comes across so clearly in this story that what this person learned, what made it so horrible was that he learned that his team had a view of him that was exactly the opposite. Like the story they created about him was diametrically opposed to what he wanted. He, he, he this is like, hey, here's a tool that will help us make good trade-offs and, and keep on track by, by being focused and smart. And what they thought is, oh, you, this is just a tool for you to make sure that we 
put in extra time. You know, this is the, this is this is the way that you're going to be theory xing us. You're you're going to be you know you know holding up this chart saying, look, we got to do whatever it takes to make this deadline, and they had this completely different stories. And it particularly, the story was about him. It was about him and his intention. And to learn that people had this different view of him was was very contrary to his view of what of how he saw himself. And and that's what made it horrible. Indeed. But finding out something like that is much better than not finding it out. Absolutely. <laughs> when when uh, I know you like to say this, um, Je- Jeffrey, how, how, how do you feel when you're wrong? Uh, well, this is, this is something I got from Karen Schultz and we'll put a link to that in the, and it's oh, like, also, yeah. it's like, we ask people, what is it? I ask people all the time, what does it feel like to be wrong? And people always say, oh, it's, it's terrible. It's embarrassing. And, and uh, you know, I say, think of a particular moment and, and people would say this and it's like, well, no, actually uh, being wrong feels great. Being wrong feels exactly like being right. It's learning that you were wrong. That feels terrible. It's that moment of like, oh, no, I was mistaken. So the very moment you stop being wrong is when it feels bad. And that's the moment of learning. That's the moment of learning. And so this is the same thing. We pie these things together. It's especially when you learn something about yourself. So it's bad enough if you have a view about the world, you're arguing for a certain plan, you have a certain belief, and it turns out, no, you were mistaken. You know, that I think it's because there's enough distance between that, that and myself, I'm, I may or may not be like, oh, okay, I take that in stride. But when it's about me, it's very, very hard to take in stride. It's just very natural. It, it is literally personal. And, uh, and that's the difficult thing. And, and so what I like about this story is it, 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 it helps us to say, actually, this is uh, when we have that sensation, you know, we talk in our book about um, uh, triggers and, and tells, like, this is a great tell that valuable learning is happening, which is, I feel horrible. <laughs> and, and because it's actually an opportunity to fix things because after this conversation, his team now has a different view of him. It, it so it felt horrible for him to go through, but coming out of it, the relationship he has with his team is better. They have a more accurate view of him and his story. They've been able to correct a mistake about him. And it's much like, you know, um, if you have a building, discovering a problem and then and then fixing it. Uh, uh, I know. have one of those. I, oh, yeah? I, I have a building. <laughs> I, have, <laughs> I have a 600-year-old house that I'm sitting in right now here in England. Yeah. And this house, of course, is built of things called lath and plaster and wattle and daub, which are um, uh, horse dung and and um, scraps of wood and so on. So it's it's not exactly built to modern building standards. <laughs> and when when we bought it 13, 14 years ago, uh, we we uh, looked at various problems that there were in it, and we said we think there are going to be more. And of course, we found things like modern concrete behind the paint used to repair the walls. And so somebody had just slapped in a bunch of concrete. And of course, that's terrible for a wall that is not built for that purpose. But you couldn't know it, right? It yeah. was behind um, layers of paint. And it wasn't until we had some specialist restorers in who came in and carefully stripped off the paint and said, you know, we're not sure what this is back here, but it certainly <laughs> isn't 600 years old. And it's uh, <laughs> pulling the wall down. So we've got to take it out with uh, uh, teaspoons <laughs> and, and, and small picks so that uh, we can repair this wall. But it, and it was painful to learn that, but it was always there and the wall yeah. was always in danger and it always yes. could have fallen down on us. 
but it was when we took off the paint and we learned that there was actually a problem behind there, behind there that we could actually start to correct it, which is the same situation for my coaching client yeah. because he's not done fixing this problem. This team may still have some of these beliefs. The culture may still be different to what he wants, but he's now able to take steps to address that. And it's a discussable topic. So he can yes. say, you know, this other thing we're going to try I wonder if you're thinking about this the same way you thought about the burn-up chart. Because if you are, I want to make really sure you guys know this is this new thing, whatever it is, is not for that purpose. It's not for um, beating you up. And if they then say, oh, yes, we know that. We learned that. We're okay. Then he knows he's corrected the problem. He's removed the concrete. If they're still kind of doubtful, he knows there's more work to do. But in either case, it's discussable. It's a problem he can address rather yeah. than being hidden behind layers of paint or uh, uh, in somebody's head. Exactly. And and that's, and that's I think, the takeaway message for people is when you have this, you may have the temptation to feel bad, to, to, um, to be defensive, to blame those, those jerks. How could they think that about me? Uh, how could they think that about us? Because it's not always going to be a manager and team. It could be across teams. There'll be these, these temptations to be bad and negative. And, and we're saying is embrace the opportunity here to improve the relationship, to improve the foundation, to, to make it something that you're building something better for the future, because uh, that's the opportunity. And I think we've said this before, but Jeffrey, what's the correct response to any feedback? <laughs> is thank you. So that would be what, what we'd want to do is say, this feels horrible, but thank you, because I now have the opportunity to correct some errors. Yes. Exactly. That's it's, and so so such a gift to, to hear from someone how what they actually believe, what they're actually thinking. Um, that uh, it, it really is uh, is the is the start of making things better. Absolutely true. Well, if listeners have similar stories or questions about opportunities for uh, the horrible experience of learning, you can find us on conversationaltransformation.com and you'll find our Twitter and email and all kinds of other things and ways to get in touch with us. That's also in the show notes. And of course, we like it when you hit the subscribe button on whatever you're using to listen to us, because we will be back here every week as we've been for 135 weeks, and we'll continue to be here next week. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Ron.